Good morning, everybody. Great to see you, Gresham Bible Church, today. What a beautiful morning to come and drive into church, right? Beautiful fall colors, blue skies for at least a few more days before months of gray and rain. So I hope you savored your uh, commute into church today. So if you want to, if you haven't already started there, make your way to Colossians chapter 4. Today we're going to be in verses 2 through 6. And we're actually nearing the end of our time together in Colossians. It has gone by quickly. I trust that it has been life-giving for you. I know it has for me to be in Colossians on Sundays when we gather and throughout the week. A book that we all need to be reminded about the truth that Colossians puts before us. And that's the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things a message we always need and should never grow tired of hearing. And today, our text, as we're nearing the end of the book, is going to talk about, it's going to highlight how our lives should work in view of the supremacy of Jesus. In view of the supremacy of Jesus, what our lives should be about. And as I've been thinking about that, something my um, five-year-old son, Owen, shared with me recently has come to mind, Owen, who keeps me on my toes at all times, uh, every day. So Owen was recently over at Carrie's parents' house hanging out with Papa and Mima, and he shared with Mima, his grandma, we call her Mima, that he wanted to go to a school event that night. But Carrie had just told Owen that, no, we won't be able to go to that event. We have other plans tonight. So Mima asks Owen, she goes, hey, Owen, I don't think you're gonna be able to go to that tonight but I guess you could ask dad if you want to. And Owen nods his head and the light bulb goes on because this is how life works. She asked Owen, so are you gonna ask dad if you can go? And Owen says, yes, because dad will always say yes. So Owen has figured out how life works. It's to ask me and the answer will be yes. So that's probably not a good thing, right? If we're being really honest right now uh, and that I don't always say yes. But that's Owen's take of how life works. Life works, I'm gonna ask my dad and he'll say yes. Today, again, that comes to mind because our text is gonna talk about how our lives as Christians should work because of all that we've seen in Colossians up to this point in time. So if you would please bow your head in prayer with me, we're gonna pray together before we come before God in his word. So let's pray. Father God, we need to hear from you today. In light of everything we bring with us to this moment, we need to hear from you. Through the unfolding of your word today, may you comfort those of us who are afflicted, comfort us with your grace and with your truth, and may you afflict those of us who are comfortable with your grace and with your truth. Give us hearts to confess, repent, and believe. Ground us in the gospel today. Focus us on you, on your glory, your goodness, and your grace. Father, I need your help. May I communicate your word clearly, and may we truly hear what you have for us today. Open your word to us, and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so with your Bible in front of you, follow along as I read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. This is God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, 
that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So in order for us to hear verses two through six, hear them in a Colossians kind of way, I just wanna remind us again where we've been in Colossians because we're all prone to forget. So I wanna make sure we hear this in a Colossians kind of way. So remember where we've been. Chapter one started out with thanksgiving. We see it again here in our text. Paul was thankful for these Colossian believers. And then the rest of chapter one, Paul just goes for it. And he highlights for us the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things. And then the aim of why Paul is writing this book is in Colossians chapter one, verse 28, where Paul says, it's Christ we proclaim that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So in view of the preeminence of Christ, his ministry is about making people mature in Christ. And then how does that maturity happen? Paul answered that question for us in chapter two, verses six and seven, which is our call to worship today, right? Paul says that as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So this gospel you receive about who Jesus is, you're to walk in that if you're gonna grow into this maturity, which is the reason Paul wrote the book of Colossians. So then the rest of chapters two and three, bringing us to our text today, that is just unfolding what that means. And it highlights, Colossians highlights how great the gospel is in our need for that. Okay, so that's, we have to have that in our mind to really hear our text today in the way that God's word intends for us to hear it. And our text today is gonna highlight two things. It's gonna talk about how we use our speech how we use our language, how we talk is a key test of spiritual maturity. If the goal is for us to grow into maturity in Christ, a key test is how you talk. And our passage today is gonna have two parts. The first part in verses two through four are speaking to God about people. And then the second movement in our text, verses five through six, are speaking to people about God. So it's about spiritual maturity and how your talk is the test as if you're walking and growing in this kind of spiritual maturity. So first, verses two through four, speaking to God about people. In order to walk in this gospel again, in order to be maturing in Christ, what does verse two say you have to do? Not maybe if you feel like it. What does it say you have to do? Continue steadfastly in prayer. It's this idea of always being ready, of persevering until you overcome. It means you have to devote yourself to prayer, to continue steadfastly in it. And this idea is an idea you'd see all across the New Testament, right? It's right from the beginning of the early church, back in Acts chapter two, where it says the new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowshipping together. Devoted themselves, same idea as continue steadfastly. And then in Acts chapter six, verse four, the disciples said, hey, here's our priority. Here's what we're gonna be devoted to. Here's what we're gonna continue steadfastly in. And it was devoting themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then in Romans, 
the awesome, amazing book of Romans, chapter 12. It describes the marks of a true Christian, and it says that a true Christian will be constant in prayer. So when we see this charge in verse 2 to continue steadfastly in prayer, this is not an unfamiliar charge for the Christian, and Colossians is only continuing that. We're to continue steadfastly in prayer because praying is the most important thing you can do with your talk. Praying to God is the most important thing you can do with your talk. And think about last week, I gave an announcement to the church that, hey, the sounds of babies and young people in our church family is a good thing because children are a blessing from the Lord, right? So what is a, an evidence of new life? Isn't it the sound, for those of you that have had babies, the sound that a baby makes? Sometimes not always the most pleasant sounds, but sounds nonetheless, right? That's the, the evidence of new life. Well, the evidence of someone being born again, of being a Christian, is the sound of prayer in their life, okay? That's the nature and the essence of what Paul is highlighting for us here. So Paul is saying that for the Colossians to be growing in maturity, again, his whole purpose in writing this was back in chapter one, verse 28, in order for them to be walking in Christ, chapter two, verse six and seven, they must be devoted to prayer. So Paul is telling them, if you're gonna grow into this, you have to keep first things first. You have to continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in your talk to God. And then how is this kind of steadfast prayer described? Again, I just wanna unfold God's word for us here. Two key ideas for us. It's described in two ways. First, it's watchful, right? That's what God's word says there in front of you. We're to live watchful lives as we're devoted to prayer. So be awake is the idea. Be aware. Don't slumber. Don't drift. Be watchful. And what's so interesting about this charge to continue steadfastly in prayer and what does this look like? How's it work? Or to be watchful? You will become more and more watchful in this kind of way the more and more you continue steadfastly in prayer. Okay? And the more and more you continue steadfastly in prayer, the more and more watchful you will become. These things work and play together. It's the idea in 1 Timothy chapter four, where Paul writes to the young pastor, Timothy, and in chapter four, verse 16, Paul commands the young pastor to do what? To keep a close watch on his life and doctrine. Okay, this charge to be watchful again, it's another idea that's throughout the New Testament because spiritual wakefulness is something that's core and crucial to the life of a maturing Christian. It really means to be watchful here. It means to be awake and to see things as they really are, and especially to be watchful for any danger that may be on its way. So what does this really mean to be watchful, to be spiritually wakeful in prayer, right? This is the charge Paul's giving us. So what does that mean? There's much that could be said, but here's one thing it means. It means you can't trust yourself. It means if you're gonna be watchful when you pray, you can't trust all your inclinations in your prayer because you're gonna make it about yourself and you're gonna bend prayer inward upon yourself rather than making it about the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. So you have to be watchful. 
You have to be spiritually awake in your prayer for seeing what's really true and what really matters, okay? Because when you're watchful in this kind of way, you're gonna care about what really matters. And that's again, the supremacy of Jesus in all things. So we're to continue steadfastly in prayer. Okay, what does that mean, Mike? It means being watchful. So I just wanna ask us as a church family, are you being watchful? Are you watching over your own life and doctrine and over the life and doctrine of one another? Because that's what it means to be spiritually awake and continue steadfastly in prayer in this kind of way. And then the second thing it describes, what does it mean to be continue steadfastly in prayer? It means to be watchful. And then it also means to, our prayers would be filled with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, an idea, a beauty that's everywhere in the book of Colossians, right? And it just continues here. I think you'd all agree with me as we're coming up to Thanksgiving. I love the women on Friday night just had a night of gratitude to lean into this idea of thankfulness. I think we'd all agree we need more thankfulness in our lives. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? Psalm 92 says, it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. So do you, Christian, want to grow in thankfulness? You have to grow in prayer. They go together, prayer and thankfulness. They go together like peanut butter and jelly, right? Like macaroni and cheese and like bacon and anything you put bacon with, okay? That's how prayer and thankfulness work together. You want to grow in thankfulness? Grow in continuing steadfastly in prayer. Okay, we get this. But now verse three what does Paul ask the Colossians to be praying steadfastly about, to be praying for? Paul asks them to continue steadfastly in prayer for what? For God to open a door for the word. In light of anything else Paul could have said there to be steadfastly in prayer for, he prays, asks them to be praying that God will open a door for the word. So do you see what this is saying? The key that opens the doors for the gospel is the prayers of God's people. Full stop. So are you, Christian, wanting to grow in making Jesus known in your life? I know in our community group, we're already talking about this and in talking with a lot of you over these last few months, there's this growing sense in our church family that I praise God for that we want to be growing in making Jesus known, in telling other people the good news of who Jesus is, right? The elders have been talking about this. We're praying about this in ourselves and then in our church family. Well, this is saying if we really want to grow in our evangelism, church, we have to be growing in our prayer life because it's the prayers of God's people that open the doors for the gospel. Colossians is telling us this. It's right on the pages of God's word. I want you to see it. I don't want you to think, man, Mike said this. No, God's word is saying, the prayers of God's people is the key that opens the doors for the gospel. And think about who's asking for prayer. (laughs) It's not you, it's not me. It's the apostle Paul. And he's having to ask for these Colossian Christians he's never met to be praying for a door for the gospel to be opened for him. So if he's asking for that kind of prayer, don't you think we probably should too? 
So I want to put a point on this for us, okay, for myself and for all of us here at GBC. I wonder if you've been thinking about, maybe even in this last week, why doesn't it seem like anyone's asking you to share the gospel with them this last week? And why is that? And it's probably most likely because, because you weren't praying for it. Because other people in your life weren't praying for a door for the gospel to be opened. And you'll be amazed if you start to lean into praying like this, like Colossians is telling us, you'll be amazed at what doors open to share the gospel when you start praying about it. Okay, that's what Paul is saying here. And then we have to see what is Paul really wanting? Like what's his desire in asking for this kind of prayer? His desire is that he wants to go where God is moving, right? He wants to go where the gospel is moving, where God is opening the doors for the gospel to advance. And the reason why is because we can't knock down the doors for the gospel. That's God's job. That's what he's in the business of. That's not our job. We need God to open up the doors to share the gospel. And we need to be praying like this because it's true. Okay, so I'm, I'm exhorting us as a church to live into the fullness of what Colossians is showing us here. God really does open doors for the gospel or we wouldn't be called to pray for it, okay? And how does God do this? Through our prayers. Wow, this is amazing stuff here. The supremacy of Jesus in all things is the fuel for prayers which are the fuel for the advancement of the gospel, okay? So two applications I just want to, to share with you and to ask you to consider and to be praying about, two things. For any of you in this room that are parents or grandparents, be praying for the doors of your kids and your grandkids' heart to be open to the gospel. Devote yourself, continue steadfastly in prayer like this. And this is not a solo mission. We're gonna hear more next week in the end of the book of Colossians. This is a, a full team type of thing. So in order to be devoting yourselves to prayer for God to open doors for the gospel in your kids, in your grandkids' heart, do that in community with each other. Ask a few other parents or grandparents in this church to devote yourselves to prayer that your kids will come to know Jesus because that's God's work to do. You can't kick that door open in your kid's heart. Only God can, okay? And then there's one more thing. I want us to encourage you, those of just looking around this room, a lot of you are already in a community group. That's awesome. If you're not and you can, I wanna encourage you to join a community group here at GBC because our community groups is one of the primary areas in the life of our church where we grow in prayer, where we devote ourselves to prayer. So in your community group, be praying for God to open doors for the gospel in one another's lives. And I really mean that. Like be praying for that coworker that you don't think will ever come to know Jesus. Share his or her name in your community group and pray and pray and pray. And when you start to do this, I think you'll be amazed at how the fire of the gospel spreads, okay? This is not like a life hack 
tip into Christian living. This is what God's word says. In order for the gospel to advance, in order for the doors to be opened, God's people have to be praying. So church, are we praying like this? We need to be, we have to be. And again, there's so much that's going on here. In verse three, so Paul is saying, Colossian church that I've never met, pray that the doors for the gospel will be open. And then he doesn't stop there. What else does he ask them to be praying for? He prays that he will faithfully declare the mystery of Christ. Because the whole point in having an open door is to do something with it. It's to walk through that door. It's to walk in the gospel and then to to declare the gospel with that open door, okay? So the mystery here, Paul's saying, pray that I declare the mystery. What does that mean? Like it's mysterious. What What is that? That's this idea that's in Colossians and throughout the New Testament. It's the mystery that Jesus Christ is for everyone. It's for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. It's a mystery that's full and rich and hopeful. That's the mystery that Paul is praying that he will be faithful in declaring. It's a mystery that everything is ultimately about Jesus Christ, that the scriptures are ultimately about Jesus and that our lives only find their ultimate purpose and true satisfaction in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the mystery Paul is calling us to be praying for here. And how is he supposed to declare this mystery? With the latest branding techniques, perhaps. No, he is supposed to declare this with what? With clarity. He's supposed to clearly declare the mystery of Christ, which is what? What does Paul say? Which is how I ought to speak. It's like his job description is I'm supposed to declare the mystery of Christ clearly, which is my job, which is what Jesus Christ has given me to do, which is how I ought to speak. So why is the gospel message supposed to be made clear? It's supposed to be made clear because it's the important, most important message in the universe. It's the import, most important message anyone will ever hear. So we're supposed to make it clear. We're to make it clear so people are hungry for and mesmerized by the gospel itself. Not mesmerized by the messenger, but by the message. Not attracted by the packaging of the message, but by the power of the gospel. Not by the eloquence of our speech, but by the excellence of the gospel. That's what Paul is saying here. Ah, Paul wants to declare the gospel clearly because the gospel message isn't one that's up on a high shelf that hardly anybody can reach. It's not a message that's only for the socially elite, that's only for the intellectuals, only for those who have it all together. No, it's Paul saying, declare this gospel message clearly. I wanna share one of my favorite quotes with you. It's by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this, the Lord said, feed my sheep, not my giraffes, okay? We're to make the gospel clear because it's a message for sheep, not for giraffes. So we're to declare the mystery of Christ with clarity. We're to pray like this, to make the gospel message clear. 
Again, there's so much that could be said. Uh, I want to help shepherd us this morning from the word of God, right? God's spirit uses God's word to work in God's people. There's so much that could be said, but this charge to pray, to declare the mystery of Christ clearly is one reason why GBC values expositional preaching. We want, we need, desperately need to hear from God's word every week when we gather. Not just about God's word or ideas from God's word, but God's word, the mystery of Christ declared clearly. We value expositing the Bible here and what we mean by that when you boil it all down is the main idea of the text should be the main idea of the sermon. We want God's word unfolded week after week because it points us to Jesus because it's the only way for us to clearly see this mystery of who Jesus Christ is. When we do that as God's people, God's word, the gospel becomes more clear, and then we see the main point of the Bible, of God's word, the person and work of Jesus Christ. The mystery of Jesus Christ becomes more and more clear as God's word is clearly preached and heard in the gathering of God's people. So this is why, one reason why we value expositional preaching here and why we strive to be a word-centered kind of church. So now, like this can, again, sound a little like, yeah, check the box, I believe that, I believe that. But there's implications here that are right in our text. Clear gospel preaching, like what Paul calls us to, it can sound really good, but let's not miss it. Where did this take, Paul? Where's he writing this message from? In prison, right? He's in prison when he's writing this. Paul's clear declaring of the gospel, it says, is the reason he's in prison. What does verse three say? It was on account of which, excuse me, he was in prison. On account of which, clear gospel preaching, it led him to prison. So this prayer that we're to be praying for ourselves and for others to make the gospel clear is also a call to be praying for steadfastness, for perseverance and for courage, to keep on making this gospel message clear, no matter if you're preaching from prison or from a palace, okay? That's this call to pray for clear gospel preaching. And clear means even when that means trouble for you, doesn't mean you're supposed to make it less clear. Paul's not here. But the trouble from the clarity of this gospel message is from the message, not from you. This is not an excuse for bringing trouble into your life because of your opinions or your preferences or even your personality. Right here in Colossians chapter four, the reason Paul is in prison is because of the clarity of the gospel message, okay? So this is a call to speak plainly from scriptures, even if it costs you something, because it will. Even if it puts you in prison, like Paul, even if it means persecution, like what it will to these Colossian believers Paul is writing to. So again, let's apply this to us as a local church. We need to be praying this for one another, don't we? And praying this kind of prayer for the pulpit of Gresham Bible Church, that we will clearly and faithfully declare the mystery of Christ, which is what? Which is how we ought to speak. So what's the best way, church family, 
to protect and prosper the pulpit of this church. It's your prayers. It's to be praying like this for clear, faithful gospel proclamation in Gresham Bible Church. Pray that God's word is clearly preached and that the doors of our hearts are prepared and opened to receive the gospel message. For those of you that love church history like me, uh, yes, I'm a nerd. That is the consistent pattern in the history of the church for spiritual awakening is when God's people individually and corporately pray like this for open doors for the gospel and to declare the mystery of the gospel clearly. When we pray like this, church history shows the gospel's on the move. Spiritual awakenings happen, okay? And why can't that happen again now? So I want you to feel Colossians 4 here. This is a call for us to live into this too, to be praying like this, to desire this, to be about the clarity of the gospel message. All right, this brings us to the second emphasis that flows from our first emphasis, right? Verses two and four, how we talk to God about people. And now in verses five and six, how are we to talk to people about God? Look at verses five and six. What does God's word say? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So how are we to walk wisely and redeem the time? How do we talk with people about God? Verse six gives us our orders. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So this is saying that for the Christian, your gracious and savory speech helps you answer each person. It's not just the content of their questions, but your speech helps you speak the gospel into real people's lives in ways that are consistent with the gospel, with grace and with truth. Always gracious, always seasoned with salt. And this is really a fascinating combination, isn't it? There's so much that could be said here. Books have been written about this, but this combination of graciousness and truth, of graciousness and salt, because we're to walk and speak, Colossians tells us, in this kind of way towards those outside the faith that don't know Jesus yet. So our speech is always to be gracious and always flavorful and true. It's like how we talk as Christians, how we engage unbelievers with the gospel, that interaction should leave a lingering taste in their lives because our gospel speech is in tune with the supernatural grace and truth of the gospel itself. And so how do these two things work together? Because only Jesus is the answer for this fascinating combination, right? Only Jesus perfectly lived full of grace and full of truth. And because of this, gospel people are to always speak, always to talk in gospel kind of ways. So this brings to mind uh, an example. 
in Acts chapter four. A lot of you in this room know this example, right? Peter and John, they're arrested, uh, they're put in prison and they're brought before this religious council to give an answer, to explain themselves for their gospel speech that was always gracious and seasoned with salt. And what was the reason that this council says, here's the reason they talk like this. In Acts chapter four, the reason why is because they had been with Jesus. So if we're walking in the gospel that we received, it's because the overflow of our hearts help our mouths to speak in this kind of way, in this Jesus kind of way. If in your heart you've been with Jesus, you'll talk like it, okay? Always gracious, always seasoned with salt. So I wanna camp here for a minute and this camping here might be uncomfortable. It has been for me, but I think this is good and needed for us as a church. Verse six indicates, doesn't it? That unbelievers will ask Christians about the mystery of Christ. So I want you to reflect. When was the last time someone asked you that? Is anyone asking you lately for the reason for the hope that you have? For the reason for the grace and the savor in your life and in your speech? If people are asking you, praise God. God is opening doors for the gospel. If people aren't asking us, we should reflect on that in view of Colossians chapter four. In order for non-believers to be asking you, Again, there's, there's much that could be said here. This is an implication and an assumption. In order for non-believers to be asking you, don't you have to be interacting with some non-believers? Otherwise, it's just in theory. No one can ask you if you're not with people. So notice what verse six says and what it doesn't say. It says, so that you may know how you ought to answer, what's it say? Each person. It doesn't say how to answer each argument. It says how to answer each person. The focus of this is on people, people who don't know Jesus. Because Jesus, through the gospel, moves towards people, doesn't he? He moved towards you, towards me, when I was caught in the dirtiness of my sin, of my idolatry, and Jesus more moved towards me with the gospel. So because of the gospel, we're to move towards people too, right? We're answering real people about Jesus, not arguments. You're not owning anyone with this message and putting them in their place. You're not shaming them. Your speech is always gracious and seasoned with salt. Our God is a missionary God, so we're to be a missionary people, declaring the gospel with wisdom, making the most of the time, with speech that is always gracious and seasoned with salt. And remember again, when you read a story or watch a movie, right? Like what's the context? What's the setting? The context here, the setting, Paul is penning this letter again from prison and he's writing to a persecuted church and there's no footnote here. He says, your speech, my speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Jesus was sent to save us and we're sent to declare this Jesus. Whether the times are positive towards the gospel, 
neutral towards the gospel or negative towards the gospel. We're to advance the gospel in ways that are wise, timely, gracious, and seasoned with salt. Colossians chapter four, this is God's word. And the reason why, again, if you take this out of the context of Colossians, it loses some of the graciousness and the saltiness. The reason why is because when you see and you taste the supremacy of Jesus in all things, your life really begins to be transformed and you can't help but tell others about the mystery of Christ. When your heart is worshiping Jesus like this, you'll be on mission for Jesus. And if you're not on mission for making Jesus known, it's probably because your heart has lost the appetite to worship the supremacy of Jesus. If your speech isn't gracious, it's likely because your heart has lost the taste for God's grace. If your speech isn't seasoned with salt, if your speech isn't true and savory, it's likely because your heart has become bland towards the gospel. I wanna share a quote with you that captures this. This quote is by a guy named Trevin Wax, and he says this, should be a slide for this. You see, the root cause of our lack of engagement in, in God's mission is not a missions problem, but a gospel problem. We demonstrate by our inaction that we no longer marvel at grace. We are unaffected by the beauty of what God has done for us in Christ. Whoo, missions saying, when it's not happening is really a gospel problem. So Gresham Bible Church, let's deal with this problem in our own lives and in the life of our church in having more and more people come to know Jesus. Be focused on, be delighting in, savoring the beauty and grace and glory of the gospel, okay? And think about again, who this message original audience was. The Colossian Christians, that were living and beginning to live under the reign of Nero, who would kill people for sport, kill Christians. This is the message written to them. So this message has implications for us as a church family. It means, it points us to the truth that we Gresham Bible Church are here right now in this city, in this state, in this country, in this time for a reason to faithfully and clearly declare the mystery of who Jesus is with graciousness and with truth. And because of that reality, it's a great time to be a Christian. Can I get an amen? It's a great time to be the church. Thus saith the Lord. Amen? So when you're in Christ, your life is meant to work like this. Your life is meant to work with talking to God about people through prayer and then talking with people about God through declaring the gospel with gracious speech that's seasoned with salt. The supremacy of Jesus in all of life is what Colossians is calling us into. We're almost at the end of Colossians. Colossians, God's spirit through God's word is calling us to live into the reality of the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. So we're to be consumed by Christ, focused on Jesus because of the all surpassing worth of Jesus. So as we move to a close here, this is a good, 
um, glorious, heavy text. As we close, I'm curious, how do you see yourself in this text this morning? How and where do you see yourself? Do these verses describe how your life is working, how your life has been working this last week? Or like me, do you feel like there's a gap between this kind of life and the life that you're actually living? And either way, the only way these verses make sense, the only way our lives can work like this is if you're in Christ. The only reason you'd want to live like this, to want to faithfully, graciously declare the mystery of Christ, even if that means persecution, the only reason you'd want to live like that is if the supreme supremacy of Jesus really is true. It's really this beautiful. It's really this good. It's really this glorious. And the good news no matter where you see yourself in view of this text, the good news is that Jesus has always accomplished perfectly anything he calls us into because only Jesus continues steadfastly in prayer for us, doesn't he? Only Jesus perfectly opens the doors of our hearts to make himself known to us, doesn't he? And in order to do this, Jesus didn't just go to prison he went to the cross to die the death each of us deserve for the penalty of our sin and to give us his life. And only Jesus is always filled and overflowing with perfect graciousness and perfect truth. So however your life is working for you right now, let me encourage you, let me charge you, let me pastor you from Colossians chapter four. Come to Jesus today, confess and repent and trust in the perfect grace and truth of Jesus who is supreme above all things. So as we close, I want to read our text for us again. Receive this as a believer, as God's church. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's close in prayer. Father, we praise you. We praise you for the mystery of Christ, for the good news of the gospel. We praise you for the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. Lord, if there are any here today that don't know you, I pray you will open a door for the gospel to take root in their heart. May they taste and see today that you are good and trustworthy. Father, for any today who are struggling, who feel weighed down, who feel at the end of themselves, meet them today with your all-sufficient grace. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.